You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating. I'm your host, Rachel Heinemann, licensed mental health counselor. Each week, we explore the deeper meaning of our relationship with food and our body. I interview experts in the field of eating disorders and psychoanalysis to bring you the answers about why you do the things you do and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. All right, let's get started. Hey, hey, episode 51 about Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, oh, hey, that's just me and you today. I'm sure I'm going to remember a couple of points after I finish the recording. So in order to make sure to hear all of those, and usually those are the best points, sadly, I know. Be sure to sign up for my newsletter. That's going to be linked in the show notes on my website. That goes out on Thursday. So you can just sort of hear the follow-up to this. Now, today's topic is on OA, but a couple of disclaimers. First of all, I am by no means an OA or a 12-step expert. I have gone to one meeting in my life and full disclosure, that was for an assignment in school. So first of all, a bit ago, and second of all, as an observer, So in no way have I been part of the 12-step program. And if that sort of says to you that I have no say in this, then please turn it off. I acknowledge that I am definitely not an expert in addiction or in OA. The other disclaimer that I want to make is that if you attend OA and this works for you, I'm so glad. I'm glad that you found something that works for you. You do not need me to agree with you. You do not need my blessing. But just important to note that, you know, if it works for you, it works for you. And I'm not here to take that away. I wanted to share some of my thoughts about how I differ from the philosophy philosophy that goes on at OA. There are some things that we actually quite agree on. But, you know, again, if it works for you, it works for you. Who am I to say, don't go, or that it shouldn't work for you? That's kind of ridiculous. But I'm sure, as you might have guessed, I'm talking about why I don't particularly love OA. So I'll talk a little bit about the 12-step program in general, about OA specific, what are the things I like, what are the things that I don't particularly appreciate, you know, all those things. So here we go. So just to make sure that I put out information that's accurate, I am following a lot of the information that I find on their website. So if you go to their website, you can probably find most of the information that I'm going to relay to you. Obviously, my thoughts are not on their website, but that's where I'm getting this info from, just FYI. Now, the first thing that I wanted to talk about is the assessment. They talk about, am I a compulsive eater? And so Overeaters Anonymous is sort of assuming that you're working on your relationship with food as a compulsive eater. So sort of identifying as a compulsive eater. And to be honest, their assessment questions are incredible. I love it. So one of the questions, do I go on eating binges for no apparent reason, sometimes eating until I'm stuffed or even feel sick? Do I have feelings of guilt, shame, or embarrassment about my weight or the way that I eat? Do I spend too much time thinking about food, arguing with myself about whether or what to eat, planning the next diet or exercise cure, or counting calories? 
Are there certain foods I can't stop eating after having the first bite? I love this assessment. So go there, check it out. If I mean, if you want to. And if you're answering yes to a lot of the questions, then yeah, there might be something up with your relationship with food. I'm not necessarily saying to go ahead with the OA, but I do really appreciate some of the questions that they have on their assessment page. So that's one. Part of my understanding of the fundamental way that AA, OA, any 12-step program approaches a problem is sort of labeling it as an addiction or an illness. In this case, they're talking about compulsive overeating. And from my understanding, and maybe this is not the case, maybe this is just my outside understanding of it, but it sort of feels very much integrated as a part of one's identity. So I am a compulsive eater. I am recovering from compulsive overeating and I am always going to be a compulsive overeater. And this is just navigating the world with this problem. I guess my issue with that is I don't really think that our relationship with food is one that we can keep as part of our identity for our entire life. And I think that, you know, sort of gets very tricky because our relationship with food, especially if we struggle with it, does become a part of our identity. Part of what we try to do is disconnect that from our identity. But I also don't believe that it's the kind of thing that you have to suffer from your entire life. And I think this is sort of where I definitely get a lot of pushback. There are some people who are of camp, this is a thing I'm going to have to deal with my whole life and I just have to manage it. And then obviously I differ from that. But I think the point is that it's sort of a fundamental approach and a fundamental difference of approach to a problem. And I I do think that there are some people who work with me, work with dietitians, have struggles with their relationship with food on any part of the spectrum, restriction, binging, purging, whatever it is that do end up just quote managing for their entire life. That happens. And I think we can almost come at it from a quote, a harm reduction perspective. And that's sort of mitigating the harm that your relationship with food does on your body and your mental well-being. And that is just the way that it's going to be for some people. There's different reasons for that. But I I think that there is definitely a room to understand eating disorders and compulsive overeating, whatever you want to call it, that way. But I also think that there is a lot of room to recover completely from an eating disorder and not identify with it at all later. And I think this leaves very little room for that. They talk about some of the things that you'll find at OA meetings, some of the things you won't find at OA meetings. And this is also sort of where I'm like, oh, hooray, nice, excellent. So some of the things you won't find at OA meetings are weigh-ins, diets and pills, packaged meals, shoulds or musts, judgments, all of these things. There's no room in any recovery center from an eating disorder. So I am so glad that they're not promoting diets. They're not promoting pills. They're not promoting anything like that. And for sure, for sure, no judgment. And I absolutely love that. What you will find at the meetings, they say, is acceptance of you, understanding, community, communication, 
all of these things that I, I think, again, are so, so wonderful. And part of what's really powerful about going to any form of group is that there's something so unifying, so validating about seeing that there are other people who struggle with the same thing or something similar. And it just changes, changes the way that you feel about it. So I love all of those things. I really appreciate that there's a spiritual component, whether that speaks to you or not. If you are a spiritual person, that's really incredible. Regular meetings, so consistency is important. Having someone to talk to, so having a sponsor or that person to have as a mentor, all of this stuff is really, really important and I think key to anyone's recovery. Now, just specifically about the actual 12 steps, just if you're coming from a similar background as me and not really knowing very much, I'm going to read through them just so that you have an understanding of what they are. And again, if it doesn't speak to you, it doesn't, it's totally not for you. The 12 step models entirely not for you. If it speaks to you, great. And so from my understanding, they do use a lot of higher power or God references and that you can sort of swap in for anything spiritual, the universe or synchronicity or whatever you want to call it. So if you're not a particularly religious person, it doesn't mean that this isn't for you. Okay. So let's just run through them. So we have a sort of foundation of the next part of the conversation. So the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. So yes, lives probably had become unmanageable. The powerless over food kind of bothers me. And I think that's because it's saying that the food has all the power. It's sort of acknowledging that food has all the power. And I don't know, that sort of doesn't really fit in the way that I understand when you stabilize your relationship with food, things feel much less chaotic. And I think when we say this, it almost gives food more power. It's like handing it over to the food. Oh God, I don't want food to have any more power than it actually does, whether or not I admit it. So again, if it works for you, that's beautiful. I'm talking again, specifically my personal thoughts on this. Two is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So again, I think this is, you know, sort of where someone spiritual or religious can really identify that believing in a higher power is going to help you. I have a problem with the word sanity as if to imply that you're insane before, but okay. I think what's also a good point to make here is that I honestly don't know if this is the implication, but I do think that it sort of states but it is the power greater than yourself that could restore you to sanity and almost not from you. But there definitely can be some sort of medium where you do the work. And if you have faith that things will work out, there's sort of this like almost greater power in both of them. But I do want to emphasize whether or not this is what they intended, that just believing that a power greater than yourself could restore you to some form of sanity is ridiculous. You have to do your work. Whatever power is out there, who's going to help you. That's wonderful. If you are religious or spiritual, again, wonderful. And I love when people have faith. I think that it changes the way that we perceive the world. Faith is very, very powerful and important, but to believe that something outside of yourself could heal you. 
Come on. Let's not. Come on. The third one is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Again, like if you're not religious, swap it out for whatever words you want to use. But I think that my problem here with this is the same as the other one. Turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Uh, Okay, guys, I'm just going to let you sort of take what I just said before and we'll leave it at that. Four, made a searching and a fearless moral inventory of ourselves. I think there's like a specific way that people do this. I don't really know the intricacies of this. But I also don't necessarily think that your relationship with food is going to be the cause of your morality and your immorality. In fact, we try to remove morality from food. So I don't know. Maybe I'm totally misreading this one. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Okay, so I think admitting that you have a problem with food is something that uh, is probably helpful. And probably another human being that's also probably helpful, like a friend, a family member, and eventually a therapist, dietitian. That's probably a good place to start. I don't know if I would call it our wrongs. I would say I have a problem. I need help. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Oh my God. Oh God. Oh, that one's terrible. I don't really think that somebody is born with a character defect. I think that every single way in which we interact and react and perceive the world is based on all of the messages we've internalized, all of the experiences that we've had. There is nothing inherently wrong with someone. I mean, even if we think about like a mass murderer, there is a reason this person got to this place. I am by no means, by the way, defending mass murderers. We should not tolerate that at all. But just like the idea that you're born with a character defect as opposed to there's a reason why we're the way that we are removes all aspects of increasing our our awareness, increasing our empowerment to make changes. And our hope that we can make changes. Oh my God. Okay. All right. Bear with me. There's still a few more. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. This is a thing that people who are religious or spiritual definitely use when they're praying and asking a higher power or whoever they pray to remove their shortcomings. I think that it's great again, if you're going to do the faith thing to believe that it's possible, but just, you know, in efforts not to reiterate myself too much, I don't think that this is up to somebody else to remove for you. You got to do it yourself and at the same time, have faith that it will happen. Okay. Eight made a list of all persons we have harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. No, no, you should not be willing to make amends to all the people in your past. I'm sorry. Definitely the people that you have harmed, perhaps becoming a little bit more aware of the situation, definitely not repeating it. But I think that especially with somebody who has struggles with their relationship with food, presumably there's either an experience with depression, ongoing depression, ongoing anxiety, and a lot of people have experience with trauma. And I think this 
is so complicated because any victim of trauma, the people we have harmed and the people who have harmed us are very, very vague. And I think that unless it is so obvious that you have harmed someone and that the answer is to make amends with them, which is, I don't know, not ever obvious, is bonkers, totally bonkers. I'm not saying that if you have harmed people that you shouldn't take responsibility and take action to either apologize or whatever, depending on what the situation is. But I do think that the use of the word all here is, oh, no, no, no all. Nine, may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Okay. I like the except when to do so would injure them or others. Not sure what they're referring to and why they leave out you as the person make direct amends. Do I agree with that? I guess it's sort of the same thing that I just said before. I don't know. Uh, If we're talking about something from 20 years ago, ah, so tricky. It's so tricky and it's so individual. Okay. 10. Continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Okay. I think this is actually pretty good. So thinking about when you do something that affects other people in a way that either is harmful to them or, I don't know, is just not the way that you want to behave, whether it's interpersonally with your relationship with food or whatever it is, to point it out, to admit it, and to be aware of it is the key. So I don't know if we're talking about the same things, but in theory, I like this one. Okay, two more, guys. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Okay, you can pray or meditate. Constant contact with God. I don't know. God doesn't talk to me, so I guess the contact would be only like one way. But, you know, I'm just going to take the first few words. Prayer and meditate, if that works for you. That's my abbreviated version. Okay, 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So like, I guess you have to become a missionary or something for compulsive overeaters, maybe? Spiritual awakening. You are not going to become a different person when you heal your relationship with food, I very much hope that you don't think that. There are very small steps that you take to challenge your relationship with food. And if you feel like doing this self-improvement journey, which, you know, if you go to therapy, inevitably you will do, but I don't know, this forced spiritual spiritual awakening, this so heebie-jeebie. And this is also... Like, I do apologize if the way that I'm speaking is offensive. I can totally see that if somebody who subscribes to the 12-step model and any any of the variations is could be terribly offended by this. And again, like, I apologize to you personally because if, again, if this works for you, this works for you. And perhaps I'm way too much of a skeptic to um, ever be a part of this community And I would never want to bash a community that works for one person, but wouldn't work for me. That is definitely not my intention. My main intention with a bit of my sarcasm and harsh words is to point out how some of this 
is very different from the way that I approach eating disorder treatment and how if we subscribe to this, it could potentially be harmful. So again, I do not mean to offend you. So just a little bit more about the idea of the way that they conceptualize the issue. They call it the compulsive overeater, as if that's your sort of stamp for life. That to a certain extent, naming it as a disease could be relieving. Like, oh, okay, I did this assessment. I do have a problem. It is a thing. Could be so, so incredibly validating and relieving. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that there is so much emphasis put in validating someone's experience. On the other hand, I can see it as terribly depressing that I have this disease and I can never recover from it in a way that eradicates it. I just have to sort of manage it. It's like, okay, you have diabetes, you got to deal with it. And I think that when somebody gets a diagnosis like that, that very much changes their life as opposed to saying, here's a thing that you can work through and you won't have to deal with this your whole life. Isn't that very different if somebody got a diagnosis of any sort and said, okay, here is how we're going to work through it, as opposed to, okay, you got this thing. Well, the moment you walk out of here, you're labeled with this for life. So (laughs) sucks for you. I don't know. I see it as so depressing. And I want people who want to heal their relationship with food to be motivated, to be hopeful, And to understand that there is so much more to their relationship with food than managing it. So if that means working through the specifics and the behavioral aspect of their relationship with food, but then getting at the stuff underneath, why did I become this way in to begin with? What's driving my relationship with food? What feels chaotic? All of the things that I talk about all the time, that to me sounds so much more hopeful And in my experience, more accurate that I've seen people walk through the door with an eating disorder and come out the other side with no eating disorder. If that's an option for you, like, why would we not entertain that? I don't know. The last thing I do want to mention here is just the tools of recovery that they talk about. There's going to meetings, writing, reading the literature, action plan, sponsors a plan of eating. That's probably different from the rest of them. The plan of eating sounds really nice. I think the plan of eating probably looks very different for somebody who is engaging in OA as opposed to working with a dietitian who specializes in eating disorders. They're saying that they don't endorse or recommend any specific plan of eating, but I have a feeling that it probably isn't uh, intuitive eating. So let's just put that out there. And they do encourage you to work with a dietitian or a doctor, some sort of qualified person. Again, if they're not specializing in eating disorder recovery or intuitive eating, they're probably just promoting the same restriction that you've always known and then perpetuating your relationship with food to sort of enforce this idea, confirm this idea that you are a compulsive overeater because if you're continuing to restrict, you will continue to have the urge to binge or compulsively overeat. So uh, hence the vicious cycle. But in theory, the idea of a plan of eating is actually a very important foundation of eating disorder recovery. Anyways, there you have my thoughts on OA. Again, probably a little bit skeptical and cynical here and a little bit harsh. So I don't know. You let me know what you think about this. 
But just just my thoughts. And again, when I remember the things that I forgot, I'll send them all in a newsletter. That is all for today. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.